Kim. Welcome to season two, episode six of the Massive Fans Book Club podcast, where we'll be kicking off the second half of A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Mass, which is chapters mm-hmm. 33 through 38. Yep, yep. Did you realize, Kim, that we're at 50% like through the book? Like, no. Yeah, me either. But the Kindle literally says we're like at 50%. <laughs> I don't read it on the Kindle. I, I have it on the Nook. Let me check. Uh, 49. Okay. So. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. My Kindle says that like the start of 33 is 50%. So that's pretty crazy. And um, speaking of crazy, we're also crazy. And because of that and our mouths and because some of the content in this book, the podcast is not meant for little ears. Just saying. <laughs> No, no, not for little ears at all. Nope, nope. And and that becomes kind of uh like if it wasn't apparent before, that comes like kind of apparent in chapter thirty-eight today. Just just throwing that out there. Uh, it does. <laughs> I mean, like sometimes before too, but um mostly chapter thirty-eight. Um, but other than that, uh, should we just dive right in? Go back to the summer court. Sure. Let's go back to the summer court. It's summer. It's summer here. We're all sweltering. Exactly. We're sweaty, so we might as well go there. Somehow, I don't think these people sweat, though. I think they glisten. <laughs> I wish. I wish that was an option. <laughs> this kind of weather, I'm like, ugh. I understand, but I have a feeling that Tarquin doesn't sweat. He glistens. <laughs> I think they all glisten. Well, all right, so kicking off chapter 33, picking up where we left off, Feyre, Reese, and Amran are in the summer court trying to trick Tarquin, who we like, out of his half of the book of breathings, and Crescent is a bitch, and now you're caught up. We find out that Reese- Well, and Varian broods. That's all he does. He oh, stands yes. And Crest is a bitch, and Varian broods. Now you know what we know. Yep. <laughs> We find out that Reese, Feyre, and Amran are given a suite of connecting rooms centered around like a lounge. And Feyre goes into her room and Reese follows her in, leaning against the doorway. Apparently, for whatever reason, he's unbuttoned the top button of his shirt, and this was important enough for Feyre to note, so I'm doing so here. But uh-huh. uh, <laughs> but we do nothing with this information. We just talk. <laughs> Man, I swear, she's like such a tease. Yeah, I don't know. Favor just likes to tell us how hot he is and then completely ignore it. I'm like, okay, girl. <laughs> Figure it out, will you? Oh, trust me. I got notes about that later. Uh, Reese opens the conversation by saying, the problem I've realized will be that I like Tarquin. I even like Cressida. Very, and I could live without, but I bet a few weeks with Cassian and Azriel and they'd be thick as thieves and I'd have to learn to like him. Or he'd be wrapped mm-hmm. around Amber's finger, and I'd have to leave him alone entirely or risk her wrath. And Farah, <laughs> I know, I was like, that's hilarious. And <laughs> Farah is taking up post, leaning against the dresser, and she's just looking at him like, is there a point to this? And Reese is like, and I want you to find out a way to do this, basically without making enemies of them. That's his point. He wants her to figure out, like, how can we get this book without totally ruining, like, everything. Not sure that's gonna happen, though, you know? Well, right, right. (laughs) And, uh, like, my notes are like, yeah, that's a tall order, and Feyre basically says, 
So what you're trying to tell me here is don't get caught. And Reese is like, mm -hmm, yep, yep. And then like many of their conversations, he could choose to leave now, but he doesn't. Instead, he opens a can of worms. Of course he does. Do you like that Tarquin can't stop looking at you? Now I can't tell if it's because he wants you or because he knows you have his power and wants to see how much. And Feyre, basically like the little girl in the taco shell commercial that's like, why not both? <laughs> She's like, why not both? <laughs> and Reese is like, it totally could be. But if it's the former, having a High Lord after you is dangerous. And Feyre's like, first you taught me with Cassie and now Tarquin. Can't you find other ways to annoy me? <laughs> Which personally, I think was a terrible thing for her to ask because like, we all know the answer is yes. Yes, now he will. Uh, that was practically a challenge. Like, use your head. <laughs> but not only that, but the whole having a high lord after you is dangerous. Um, all right, she was engaged to Tamlin. Now she fucking lives she, with your ass. <laughs> living in in Reese's house, huh? <laughs> so there's two high lords, and let's face it, we all know Reese is more than once already pretty much offered to like fuck her. So. Yeah, I got notes about that later, too. It's, you know, this set of chapters is fucking weird. So, <laughs> so what, we're going we're gonna to Tarquin into the mix now? We have three? Yeah, so now Reese is... Okay. So basically, yes. So basically Tarquin is... Or basically Reese is saying that. It's basically like, oh, is Tarquin got your eye or whatever? She's like, no, I'm literally doing what you told me to do. <laughs> and he, quote, braced a hand on either side of me, gripping the dresser. Like, Farah, you clearly have feelings about this. You clearly have feelings about this man. Strong feelings, or you wouldn't keep describing every cat-like movement my dude makes. But whatever. <laughs> Reese reminds her, you have one task here, Farah. One task that no one can know about. So do anything you have to in order to accomplish it. But get that book, and don't get caught. Feyre clearly knows what he means, but wants to be clear, she's like, if I fucked him for it, 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 it would you, would, would, would you, what would you do? <laughs> and he's, uh, I mean, clearly the answer is nothing, Feyre. Like, he just told you to do that, basically. <laughs> but whatever. This is some weirdly, like, drawn-out foreplay that goes nowhere, because he's, like, staring at her mouth, and she's just, like, standing there, and he's, like, gripping the dresser extra hard to the point that it's making, like, crackling sounds, and says, you say such atrocious things. You are always free to do what you want with whomever you want. So if you want to ride him, go ahead. And I'm like, wow, that was specific. And she's like, maybe I will. And then they're both like, fine, fine. Whatever. <laughs> But she notes that they're just inches apart, like his face is in her face, and she can feel his breath on her mouth, and then he changes the subject and says, do not jeopardize this mission. But Farah, honestly, I think what we're feeling here is clearly sexual tension, but yeah. this book has magic in it, so instead we're going to pretend that that's what's going on here and, and go with that power, because she says she feels his... <clears throat> power apparently and she describes it as enveloping her and Reese picks up on this and nods towards the candle sitting on like a table and tells her to light it <laughs> she tries to and uh instead for comedic effect that will be wonderful in television 
She douses it with a butt ton of water. <laughs> and him. Oh, yeah, because he laughs at her and says, can't you follow directions? And so she gets a little pissy and summons that water right back up off the ground, has it floating around the two of them, similar to how he had done with the darkness and stars before. And then while Reese is checking that out, she drops it all on him, soaking him completely. <laughs> well played. Right? And, and he's actually a pretty good sport about this because he just like pushes away from her, like away from the dresser and says, good work, keep practicing. Yeah, I can't uh, wait to see that on TV. I know. I was like, this is so funny. But before he can leave, Fear realizes something that's been bothering her. That whole bit with Cressida from like the last episode where we were talking about her being a bitch and how she was like, leaving Tamlin, you know, you could start a war. And so she asks Reese his thoughts on the topic. Will he go to war over me? Meaning Tamlin. And Reese admits he doesn't know. And Fair admits that we, she says what we knew she would, which is basically because she's a good person and a little stupid. She says, I would go back if it came to that recent, I'd go back rather than make you fight. And Reese doesn't really know what to do with this info. He's like, well, would you want to go back? And I think the really interesting thing he asks is not just, would you want to go back, but would going to war on your behalf make you love him again? Would that be a grand gesture to win you? And like, honestly, if you people cannot see the writing on the wall yet, I cannot help you. <laughs> like, clearly we feel some sort of way about this. But you're trying to play it cool. And also like find out, you know, does she want to go back? And Farrah deflects her own feelings, as she do, and basically just says that she wouldn't want a war fought over her when so many have died already. And Reese is like, yo, bitch, that's not what I asked. And <laughs> she admits, no, I wouldn't want to go back. But I would. Hey, at, least she, at least she does not have a Helen and Troy complex. Yes, yes, that is true. And she says, no, I wouldn't want to go back, but I would. Pain and killing wouldn't win me. And Reese just, like, lets that answer sink in for a minute, and he goes to leave, but then he says something really, like, again, I cannot help you if you cannot pick up on these clues and that are getting more and more blatant, <laughs> and I can't help Farrah either. God help her. She's blind as a bat. So he says, and it sounds to me from the description, like he's saying it without turning to her, just facing the door, he locked you up because he knew. The bastard knew what a treasure you are, that you are worth more than land or gold or jewels. He knew, and he wanted to keep you all to himself. Yep. Guys, come on. <laughs> Farrah, that's, like, that's like one of my favorite little bits. Yes! And Farah is like, I think she's shocked. <laughs> well, I think she's shocked because she just says, like, he did love me, Resand, which is... Uh, fine I think it's fair like he did at one time these these things were sort of okay and uh I mean if that wasn't so much the case in the end <laughs> but it opens a door for Reese to say something that I think we should tell all teenagers <laughs> yes the, the issue isn't whether he loved you it's how much too much love mm -hmm. can be poison and he leaves and I'm just like yeah you can absolutely love someone and smother them with them, ruin them with it, even abuse them with it. Yes, you can. Absolutely a possibility, and I don't think we talk about that enough. 
No, we don't. Not as a society. I mean, right. you know, my kid, my kid is starting middle school. It's, we've already had to have the birds and the bees talk. And when we talk about all the sexual tension here, I mean, I'm going to, I'm not going to lie. My kid is, he is not into the opposite <laughs> sex yet or the same sex for that matter. Like he just, he's not, that's not his yeah. thing yet. And girls have cooties. I get it. <laughs> And boys are only friends. Like, I don't know which way he's going to lean. Yeah. My money is that he's straight. But, you know, who knows? I'm not, you know, love is love. I'm I'm for it. I'll support my kid however he goes. My point is but everybody the, got cooties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody's got cooties right now. Like, he's like, ew, that's gross. You know, but we have had some conversations about it. And I'm very blunt and honest with my child. I'm not going to pull that, you know, any punches. So, yeah, I think it is a conversation to be had. You know, I know when he starts... When he gets to that point where he is going to start dating, I'm going to have to talk to him about this kind of stuff because, you know, it's important and, and it's important to, to have that conversation up front and say, look, not all, not all relationships are healthy. And this is why. A hundred percent agree. See, good parenting going on there. I'm trying. (laughs) You you get a go star. (laughs) Thank you. I'm trying. So anyway, we get a snowflakey deal. And then they're at the dinner that Tarquin talked about throwing for them last episode. And we get a brief description of Tarquin's outfit, basically so that we can pick up on the fact that he's wearing a crown of sapphire and white gold and Farrah can't help but stare at it, which is like, sneaky, sneaky, you smart, because she's about to use this as an in in the conversation. So Tarquin, like, she's smart. (laughs) Sometimes she's dumb, but sometimes she's smart. And Tarquin is like, you think our skilled jewelers, they could, you know, make a crown a bit more comfortable. This one digs horribly. (laughs) (laughs) Which I just think is adorable. And Farrah asks how he kept it out of Amarantha's hands. And ultimately, like I said, she will use this conversation to her advantage. But first we have to, Mm -hmm. like, get jealous and distracted. Because she asks this question, how did you keep it out of Amarantha's hands? And then she just, like... 180s you know like we did with the weaver where we stand around thinking too much instead of you know like fucking leaving so instead she like asks that question and then her brain floats away and she notices how close reese is sitting to cressida (laughs) and uh he's ignoring us and he's not talking about our pretty outfit and we're bothered by this and then tarquin cup brings us back to the point And I'm just like, my girl's got, like, ADHD. I don't know. She does. (laughs) Like, girlfriend, what the hell? You just asked Tarquin a question and then went, like, la, la, in the other direction. But eventually Tarquin brings us back. I appreciate Tarquin. (laughs) And he says he managed to smuggle, like, well, not he personally, but their court, smuggled most of the treasure out before the territory fell. And apparently this was done by Tarquin's predecessor and Ferris says she didn't know that the summer court valued their jewels so much and Tarquin basically says it's just a tradition thing. But Ferris ain't no dummy. Knowing the book could be hidden where other valuables are, she keeps inquiring, you know, about his collection. And, you know, says that she wants to compare to, like, what her father's collection looked like as a merchant. And Tarquin's all sold it to date. (laughs) He does not take a lot of convincing, does he? No, and we like Tarquin too much to let this conversation end here. He's a nice dude. Uh, so he asks Freyra what it's like in the mortal world, and she admits that, you know, 
she can't tell him much because she was poor for most of her life and she didn't see a lot of the world, just the tiny part where she lived. But she describes it a lot like I think we would describe the world today, where yeah. she's like, <laughs> I can't speak for the entirety of the mortal world when I say what I saw there was hard, brutal. Here, class lines are far more blurred, it seemed. There, it's defined by money. Either you have it and you don't share it, or you're left to starve and fight for your survival. And she yeah. goes on to tell him that her father did regain his status in money when she came to Prithian. You know, doesn't give him the details. And Tarquin right. asks an interesting question. Would you spare them if war came? And she's careful in her answers. Mm-hmm. She says, my sister's well with my father on his estate. For them, I would fight. But she admits she wouldn't mind seeing the others uh, disrupted, per se. <laughs> and Tarquin admits that he feels this, like some feel the same way about Prithian, implying that they would like to see the High Lords go by the wayside, but more importantly, he exclaims, but mostly eliminate the inherent privileges of the High Fae over Lesser Fae. Even the terms imply a level of unfairness. Maybe it's yep. more like the human realm than you realize not as blurred as it might seem. In some courts, the lowest high fae servants have more rights than the wealthiest of lesser fae. Yep. And Farah picks up somewhat on what he must be saying and kind of agrees with him. And she asks him, and he's very diplomatic in his response, but he says, I would like to one day see a Prithian in which they, meaning lesser fae, have a voice, both in my home and the world beyond it. Mm-hmm. And Farrah is just staring at him <laughs> because she realizes he means it. Like, she's mm-hmm. basically like, damn, I have to steal from the nicest fucking dude on earth, don't I? <laughs> you know, I mean, it does, it makes it hard because he's, he's such an awesome idealist. And I mean that like in the best possible way. I mean, putting in it in modern construct, I mean, we're looking at, at, you know, all the race issues going on here in America right now. I mean, you could totally apply this section to that. It's, it's kind of, sure. you know, crazy. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm just saying some of this, like, you know, sounds kind of, you know, like today. <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, it does. But moving on. <laughs> Farrah's just staring at him, like I said, because she realizes, like, he means it, and she doesn't want to have to steal from this guy, and Tarquin asks why she's looking at him like that, and her response is gold. She says, I'm thinking it would be very easy to fall in love with you, and easier to call you my friend. And Tarquin, he's adorable, he says, I would not object to either. (laughs) And guys, I just have feelings. Like, I don't even understand my feelings. I just have feelings. <laughs> because I think I mentioned last week uh, when we were talking about Tarquin that, like, Tarquin, like, when I first read this, I was like, Tarquin so likes Feyre, and she kind of likes him too cute. And then I read it again, and I was like, nah, he likes her okay and would sleep with her probably, but she's just using him for info. She's a lady on a mission. And then I went back to making my notes, and I'm like, kind of back where I started, like, oh, Tarquin, baby, she's about to use you. Find yourself someone else to love. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of where, I mean, she really does. I think... I think there's something about her and I don't think she sees it. So I'm very curious to see how they're going to put this on the screen, like how they portray what it is about her that draws high Lords. So I'm just saying 
I, I feel like I feel about Tarquin in this book. I mean, he's not in it for a very long period of time, but I feel about Tarquin in this book a lot how I felt about Lucian in the last book where I'm just like, oh, honey, I want you to be happy. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're, so, you're so sweet. <laughs> I genuinely like Tarquin. I really do. He's I do too. I really like. I do too. Uh, so anyway, Tarquin and Feyre have this moment, but she ruins it by looking over his shoulder and noticing Cressida is basically in Reese's lap, and Reese is smiling, quote, like a cat, with my god, with the cat metaphors. I don't know. Feyre thinks something along the lines of, if I have to listen to them fuck later, so help me god. <laughs> thanks, thanks for saying that, Feyre. We all needed that image in our head. Right, and Tarquin puts his two cents in, because he ain't no stupid man. He says, it has been many years since I saw her look like that, meaning Cressida. And Feyre realizes she's like full of shame. Shame because she wants to fucking throttle Cressida. <laughs> and her, her thoughts spiral. And she's basically admitting that it's all a stupid mess that she doesn't want to think about. <laughs> sure, Reese flirts with her, but he doesn't. This is the fucking weirdest like thought process I've ever heard. Sure, Reese flirts with her, but he doesn't seduce her. Seduce was a word. <laughs> yeah, seduce was her word, friends, not mine. Because I think Favorite's brain has gone off a fucking waterfall and didn't make no sense. She's like. <laughs> He, Short-circuited somewhere. Yeah, some broke. <laughs> She's like, he never seduced me with, what is she talking about? <laughs> he never seduced me with those long, intense stares, the half-smiles that were pure, alluring arrogance. I suppose I'd been granted that gift once and had used it up and fought for it and broken it. And I suppose that Reese for all he had sacrificed and done, he deserved it as much as Cressida. Like, bitch, hold up. We don't know anything about Cressida except that she's annoying. Let's not give her enough room to say she deserves Reese's Pieces by any means. <laughs> Second of all, <laughs> second of all, we know that he's too good for most of us. So, again, what? True. Cressida, what? Third, how are you going to assume that he wants her because he's flirting with her? Like, We've watched him flirt with randos at bars that he doesn't take home, and y'all are on a mission where he pretty much explicitly said, yes, sleep with Tarquin to get the info if you have to, so couldn't this be part of his plan? Like, doesn't he always have a plan? I just don't understand mm -hmm. why she's looking at this going, oh my god, like, they're in love, I'm gonna have to listen to the fuck later. Like, this is such a weird <laughs> thing to think. It's, yeah, I mean, it's like, she's, she's not, well, her jealousy is getting the better of her. Let's let's be really honest. Clearly. I mean, the green-eyed monster has got its claws on her, and she's not thinking clearly. Clearly. Well, whatever. It gets worse for our girly. In her head, she admits she's lonely. That's mostly her problem. She's lonely. Poor baby. And she misses feeling wanted. And she's watching Cressida basically kiss Reese's ear while whispering him, whispering something to him. And Pharaoh's internal monologue shares with us, and it wasn't sorrow or despair or terror that hit me, but unhappiness. Such bleak, sharp unhappiness that I got to my feet. Our girl is in a panic. She literally just like walks away. Aware that her shields may or may not be up, but also aware that he's not looking at her and not giving her any indication down the bond that he's feeling anything about her. And she is just 
stunned, I think. She's realizing that she's feeling something, an emotion that isn't dread or emptiness like she's been feeling for months. She's unhappy, which implies there has been some sort of happiness up until this moment. Correct. And so now she's just reeling. And like I said, Tarquin, he ain't no dumb dumb. So he's looking at her, looking at Reese, looking back at her. And I've had to imagine he's looking at Reese thinking, are you an idiot? Are you an actual idiot? <laughs> Fair is staring at you. Do anything, bro. <laughs> yeah, you know, you gotta think that's going through his head. <laughs> you know, Tarquin's <laughs> like, what? But nothing happens. Instead, Fair just says she needs some air and leaves. And Tarquin, the sweetie is, does offer to go with her, but she turns him down. And Reese does fuck all in this situation. Uh, on her way to a different deck of the ship, because they've been on a ship for dinner, guys. Uh, this is a dinner cruise, in case I didn't mention it. And Ferris spots Amarin and Varian not speaking to each other, but, like, going out of their way to ignore each other. And she's just like, whatever. <laughs> and Farrah waits on this separate deck until they literally dock. And then she realizes that she's been waiting for Reese for, like, an hour, only for him to never show up. And then when she goes to get off the boat, she realizes that Reese and Cressida are nowhere to be found. And that's the end of chapter thirty-three. Well, okay. So this whole thing with with Varian and Amarin trying to avoid each other, I, I'm thinking Reese's prediction. Yeah, yeah, is, is definitely um there. A possibility. <laughs> I mean, it's possible that they they hate each other and they're just kind of. But they're going out of their way to like be in the same general space. <laughs> I said it's possible. I didn't say it was. I, I said say it was likely. <laughs> There's a chance. There is a chance. Well, chapter 34 opens with Pharaoh letting us know that, thank the Lord, there were no weird sex sounds coming from Reese's room last night. Crisis averted. For now. And Pharaoh, up from a nightmare, is looking out the window at the moonlit sea, thinking about what she's doing here. A weapon. I was a weapon to find that book. Stop the king from breaking the wall to stop whatever he had planned for Jurian and the war that might destroy the world. That might destroy this place. And a high lord who might very well overturn the order of things. But then, for a moment, I think because it's all too much, she actually admits to missing Valaris. And she misses the lights and the music and the coziness of it all. But mostly, she says, she misses, quote, what it had been like to be a part of their little unit. She likes the inner circle, guys. <laughs> she does. Well, I mean, how do you not like them? Well, exactly. <laughs> but Farah self-sabotages a lot, you know. And uh, instead of just being like, yeah, I like these people and I like Reese and I should tell them that or don't. <laughs> she's like, maybe, she spirals. She's like, maybe wrapping his ring wings around me, writing me notes, had kept Reese, had been Reese's way of ensuring his weapon didn't break beyond repair. That was fine, fair enough. We owed each other nothing beyond our promises to work and fight together. He could still be my friend. Like, bitch, do you hear yourself? No. She's so not paying attention to what she's saying. Like, okay, you're right. You technically owe each other nothing, right? Okay, great. But look how you are with each other. Like, wake up, fools! <sighs> but she writes it off, saying, it'd just been a relief to think for a moment he might have been as lonely as me. 
snowflake. See, here's my thing. I'm thinking, I think Reese has put two and two together. I don't think Feyre has. Okay. Okay. We will come to that at a much later date. But yeah, I definitely, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, has Reese put it together? Sure. Is he doing uh, kind of, like I said earlier, fuck all about it? Basically. No. I mean, like, it's one of those things where, like, if he does, again, we'll come back to this later, if he does, you know, know that he likes her or whatever, and I understand there's argument to be made that, like, you know, she just got out of a relationship and it's kind of hard and all that, but, like, at some point, this is not working. Right. And somebody got to say something, but the parents- I agree. Nobody going to say something right now. <laughs> no. No, and I and I don't disagree. I don't think I don't think Favors fully come to realize that her feelings for Tamlin had changed so long ago and their relationship had ended so long ago. Right, right. Just because she was still living in his house doesn't mean that they were really like together together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -mm, I make a point about this later. Yeah. I I am a hundred percent there with you. Like I said, we can just sorry. Like I'm deep. just putting putting that out there <laughs> while she's fine. having her thoughts. You're fine. We get a snowflakey deal, and Ferris skips breakfast because she doesn't want to see Reese and Cressida right now. And she takes a long bath and plays with her water powers, making little animals and sea creatures out of the water and the bubbles and all that crap. And eventually, uh, Nuala enters from wherever the hell the ghosty girls have been this whole time. And uh, she comes in and she dresses them, which is like weird that. You, like I don't know I don't feel the need to like bring somebody to dress me but you know whatever uh these people do what they do and she appears and money, it happens. I guess so the, the only point to this is to know that Nuala is a good spy and dresses Farrah in a way that she'll kind of match Tarquin when she sees mm -hmm. him because you know that like can't hurt anything that can't hurt the plan no. so once dressed, Feyre finds her way through the palace to where she's to meet Tarquin, and he does enter, like, just as the clock strikes two, flanked by his people and Reese and Amran, and they'd all just been in a meeting. Apparently, Reese does a quick do, you know, once-over of Feyre's outfit and seems to mentally note that she is dressed to match Tarquin, but he says nothing, and he just kind of keeps staring at Feyre and Tarquin while they have their hellos, and Feyre mentally notes that she may send one of her little water dogs that she was playing with in the bathtub to bite Reese in the ass later, which did make me chuckle. <laughs> and Feyre apologizes to Amran for, you know, she's, she's playing the part. She's like, I'm sorry to, like, take Tarquin away from your meeting, and Amran's like, it's no big deal. We were just discussing, you know, how Tarquin you know, during his predecessor's day was the head of the fleet, some blah, 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 and Farah made some small talk with Tarquin about this while mentally telling us that she's going out of her way to not talk to Reese because we're in the seventh grade. <laughs> so middle school. Right, like what the hell. Eventually, Farah puts her arm through Tarquin's and they head off and Farah notes for a moment that something brushes against her mental shields, darkness. Mm. Maybe a warning to be careful or she thinks though it felt an awful lot like the dark flickering emotion that had haunted me so much like it that i stepped a bit closer to tarquin and then i gave the high lord of summer a pretty mindless smile that i had not given anyone in a long long time that brush of emotion went silent on the other side of my shields 
Jealousy, the word you people are looking for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my God, if I were Amber, I'd have the hardest time keeping my mouth shut. If I were Amber, I'd want to walk up and smack both of them upside the head. <laughs> be like, damn it, dudes. Anyway. <laughs> Get your shit together. Yeah, like what the fuck? Anyway, Tarquin and Farrah take their little date down the Hall of Jewels that Tarquin promised to show her, and she's using the time to scope out for the book or a feeling or anything, but nada. Just pretty sparkly stuff. And Farrah, joking, but also like trying to suss out if there's somewhere else she should be looking, says, and this is just one of the tropes? And Tarquin <laughs> says, yes, <laughs> by his way of response being, my ancestors were greedy bastards. <laughs> I like his honesty. <laughs> Me too. I love this guy. He's just so fun. But Farrah continues to look over the pieces and eventually asks him if he knows the history of all of them. You know, the swords, the daggers, the jewels. No books so far. And Tarquin says he knows some, but not all. And then Farrah, awkward as fuck, says, what's the most valuable thing in here? <laughs> and he's like, LOL, thinking about stealing it. And she's like, derp, nope, mm -mm, nope. <laughs> and recovers by saying wouldn't asking that question make me a lousy thief <laughs> Tarquin my dude says the smoothest shit <laughs> he says I'd say I'm looking at the most valuable thing in here <laughs> does he mean because she's super powerful does she mean because she's super beautiful we'll never know either way smooth as fuck A plus <laughs> He gets props. Big props for that one. <laughs> fair blushes, which is fair, and he admits he has no idea what the most valuable thing in there is and that they're mostly just like heirlooms, so it's like hard to put value on. And they keep looking around, and Farrah eventually sees this beautiful necklace of black diamonds, and she's just staring at it. And Tarquin, again, smooth as fuck, notices, walks up behind her, looks at the necklace, and then looks at her and says, take it. And she's like, what? Blink. <laughs> yeah, blink, blink. Wah! And he's like, as a thank you for Under the Mountain. And she's like, damn, this guy is so nice. <laughs> maybe I should just ask him for the book. <laughs> and yeah, she's, yeah. she's like, maybe. And while she's thinking this, he takes the necklace from the box. Oh, like, and the, he puts the necklace in a box and takes it off the shelf. And he's like handing it to her, saying, You were the first person who didn't laugh at my idea to break down class barriers. Even Cressida yeah. snickered when I told her. If you wouldn't accept the necklace for saving us, then take it for that. And just like Turquin, my dude. You're breaking my heart, man. I know. I know. She's like, it's nice. Like, it's a good idea, the whole breaking down barriers thing. Like, you don't have to reward me for just agreeing with you. And he tells her to take it anyway, adding, it will suit you in the night court. Which I think personally is his way of basically saying, I may or may not be flirting with you, but either way, you have things to work out with Reese and I'm not going to get in the middle of that. <laughs> Smart man. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's what I got from that. And she says, yeah. she says, perhaps I'll stay here and help you revolutionize the world. And I stand by my statement because his response to her is, I could use an ally in the North. And then he tells her a little more outright, not that he thinks she's got Reese feels, but that honestly he does appreciate that she has sway with Reese and that he too could benefit from her being an emissary with the human realm. And it's a really beautiful long quote you can read, but he admits that he knows Reese isn't as bad as the act he puts on. 
because mm -hmm. he knows that Reese saved him under the mountain by saying that his cousin Brutus had acted alone. And yep. Tarquin, just to seal the deal in all our hearts that he is the young, brilliant High Lord that we know and love, finishes his little speech to Pharaoh saying, sometimes I think Reese and I think he might have been her whore to spare us all from her full attention. Mm -hmm. Which just has Ferris staring at him with like all the sadness in the world because she does not want to betray him. And she also does not want to like give away like Reese's secrets by like being like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so Tarquin makes one more remark showing how like <laughs> brilliant he is and like his respect for her and Reese and like whatever's going on. He says, I know I'm supposed to look at you and see that he's made you his pet into a monster, but I see the kindness in you. And I think that reflects more on him than anything. I think it shows that you and he might have many secrets. And Fair cuts him off and is kind of like, how dare you read me so well? <laughs> totally freaked out. <laughs> but actually she just says that she can't reveal anything and Tarquin's like I know sorry I'm still learning how to play the games at these courts and Feyre tells him she hopes he never learns how to play those games and I agree he is just so good he's just too good I don't want yeah, to be having a, a high lord like that is it's it's refreshing especially yes. after what we've already seen in Tamlin right and what we know about some of the others I mean we don't know all of the others but we know some of them like you know Lucian's dad sucks I mean, yeah. I mean, Lucian's flat out has said, you know, my father would kill for, kill her if he knew right. she had this power, which is really disturbing. Right. Like, so, I've never even met the man, but that's disturbing. Yeah. So, Tarquin, A plus, High Lord. <laughs> yes. Anyway, he asks her, though, if all the BS with Tamlin is true, and she nods, and he specifies, and it's true that you were safe from the confinement by the night court. And she nods again. And he promises that he won't say anything to Tamlin about her being there unless outright asked and it's like a threat to his court. Correct. And I think that's sweet. And and lightening the mood, Feyre's like, so what else are you gonna show me? And he laughs and, you know, he's kind of says like, oh, well, I guess I can blow off my afternoon meetings. And she plays back to him, what a reckless wild young high lord. And he tells her, you know, I think it might be very easy to love you too, Farah easier to be your friend and i'm like it's just such a damn shame she's gonna steal from him <laughs> i know it breaks my heart because i mean they really like <sighs> if nothing else they like could be really really good friends like they could be the friends i was really hoping she and lucian would be you know what i mean exactly exactly oh well he shows her a bunch of rooms, one with books, but she doesn't get no tingly feelings about any of them, and that sucks. And ultimately, he goes to show her his art gallery, and she kind of panics, and she's, like, still not really ready to deal with art, and kind of says, that's enough for today, and he agrees. And then we get the snowflakey flake. <laughs> and then Farrah returns to her room to find Reese on her bed, and she asks roughly, what do you want? And he's an ass about it and says, flirting and giggling with Tarquin, did you know good I take it? And she shows him the necklace. And he's like, you want me to buy you jewelry, Farah? Then just say the word. Though, given the wardrobe, I thought you were aware that it was all bought for you. Which is such a weird thing to say. Yeah, awkward. The first time I read it, I didn't think anything of it. But, like, it is super weird because, one, 
why would that be obvious to a former human who just assumes you like magic some shit into a drawer, right? Yeah. Two, Reese, like now I got questions. Did you pick it out yourself? Did you send the ghosty girls out shopping? I mean, I get it's your money either way, but technically did you buy it for her? Or like, did you send somebody? Like, it sounds like you went shopping and that just fascinates me on a like, multitude of levels. Whole different level, yeah. <laughs> Three, uh, spoiler free, but we do get an answer to these questions in a couple books, at least where somebody's clothes be coming from. But I don't know, I'm just saying, the whole thing stuck out to me like, super weird on a second reread. <laughs> I was like, this is a weird thing to say, Reese. Well, not only that, but if you recall, when they went back to visit her family, she was wearing a crown, and she talked about the fact that she was hiding a crown under her hood until the hood came off. Yes, so, like, he does have jewelry for her, and she makes a remark about that somewhere at some other point, that basically, and honestly, it may be in a different book, but <laughs> she just makes a remark that like not only does she always have like clothes that have already been picked out for her but there's like usually like a matching crown with it like not a or, ton of other jewelry like or a diadem or a tiara but yeah something. there's some sort of like headpiece with it because in general she had remarked that tamlin like basically loaded her up on useless jewelry she didn't like but this is always just like a small tasteful headpiece for some reason <laughs> Maybe a necklace or like one one small thing, but it's, yeah, yeah, there's like a little bit of sparkle, sparkle. Yeah, there's like a little sparkle, unlike sparkle. The, anyway, yeah, yeah, unlike Tamlin, who basically like loaded her up, looking ridiculous. Head to toe. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Just thought it was weird. <laughs> Farah makes her point about the necklace, which is Tarquin is a nice guy. Couldn't we just ask him for the book? And Reese gets a little shitty with her about it, so he plies you with jewels and pours honey in your ear, and now you feel bad. Yes, Reese. Yes, now we feel bad, as she should. <laughs> and she tells him what we've just learned, like what, you know, what we've just learned, which is he wants your alliance desperately. He wants to trust you, rely on you. And Reese is basically like, not according to Cressida. And Pharaoh opens a can of worms this time, and she's like, oh, did she tell you that before, during, or after you took her to bed? And Reese kind of slowly stands up and is like, is that why you wouldn't look at me? Because you think I fucked her for information? And Feyre just steps in it. She's like, information or your own pleasure, I don't care. Which is like the easiest way to show you do care. Like, dumbass. Yeah, <laughs> if I you didn't bullshit. care, you wouldn't have said anything. <sighs> I and call Reece, Right? And Reese now, like, up in her business, is like, you jealous? <laughs> and she's like, nuh -uh, you are. And, I mean, that's not really what they say, but close enough, you get the point. And <laughs> Reese splits it all out a bit. Do you think I particularly like having to flirt with a lonely female to get information about her court, her high lord? Do you think I feel good about myself doing that? And he says more than that, but I think the important part here is he's basically saying what I said earlier, which is it seems rude to me that Feyre assumes that he'd fuck Cressida for info when, A, she's too scared to do that from Tarquin. So, like, I think he also knows that there's, like, a line there. Like, he may say it, but, I mean, he's gonna do it. And then also, like, give Reese some freaking, like, respect. He's a mostly respectable dude. I, i.e., I say mostly. I mean, I do not understand. True. But, you know, anyway. Fair is not having it. 
she won't let it go. And he finally tells her he didn't sleep with Cressida, even though she wanted to. He took her out for drinks, and he went to bed alone. And then he tells her, I waited for you for breakfast, but you slept in, or avoided me, apparently. And I tried to catch your eye this afternoon, but you were so good at shutting me out completely. Finally, she says, you are jealous. But he kind of just throws that away by going over to the bar cart and pouring a drink. Mm -hmm. And he admits he heard that bit about how it'd be easy to fall in love with Tarquin. And he says, I was jealous of that. That I'm not that sort of person for anyone. The summer court has always been neutral. They only showed backbone during those years under the mountain. I spared Tarquin's life because I'd heard how he wanted to even out the playing field between high fae and lesser fae. I've been trying to do that for years. Unsuccessfully, but I spared him for that alone. And Tarquin, with his neutral court, he will never have to worry about someone walking away because the threat against their life, their children's lives, will always be there. So yes, I was jealous of him because it will always be easy for him and he will never know what it is to look up at the night sky and wish. And I'm like, wow, that is so much to unpack from this shitty little conversation. Yeah, it is. But it's like one of my favorite little things he says. I agree with you. I mean, there's also like a tiny bit of bullshit in there. Like, I think he's definitely jealous specifically of Tarquin right now for flirting with Feyre, but, you know, the rest of it. Absolutely. I mean, the rest (laughs) of it, I mean, he is, but he's he's not going to give in to that. I I honestly think, well, I I think he doesn't feel that that Feyre is ready to accept that kind of stuff emotionally so he's not going to give into it until she is and it's not just that but i think it's it is just even in the general he's realizing that he's never going to be an easy hell yes for someone correct because of how his court is seen how hated he is how hated his offspring would be and i right. think that's just heartbreaking i think that's something he has lived with for probably hundreds of years at this point right like he has right. known this for a very long time Feyre, no Feyre, somebody else, it's kind of irrelevant. No matter what, True. he knew this was kind of how his life's going to shake out. And that is heartbreaking. No, I, I agree 100%. It, it is heartbreaking, and for that reason. And Feyre is heartbroken, too. <laughs> She's literally she on the verge of tears. And she just walks over to the bar cart and pours herself a drink, too, and refills his before looking him in the eye and saying, to the people who look at the stars and wish, Reese, and she knows for a brief moment his piercing gaze and how Tarquin's can't even remotely compare before he says to the stars who listen and the dreams that are answered. And yes, that is one of the most quoted lines of the book. And yes, it's been highlighted over 5,500 times. (laughs) And yes, it's like one of my favorite sayings ever. And yes, that's the end of chapter 34. Because now Kim's going to take us on an adventure because as much as I love this long game that are the two of them and this very slow burn flirt style, it makes me tired and I need some action, my friend. (laughs) Uh, Well. So Kim, take it away. (sighs) Chapter 35. So... They're kind of wasting time while Farrah tries to figure out where the hell this book is hidden. It's been a couple days. 
Reese and Amron are keeping Tarquin, Varian, and Cressida as tied up in as many meetings as humanly possible, while Pharaoh basically wanders around Adriata, trying to figure out where the hell they hid this thing. Which, like, how long do you think these High Lords really want to have house guests for? <laughs> like, you know he's got to be like, so you people going home soon? Yeah, you would think. I don't know. She's also been doing a lot of playing with her water because, well, you know, she needs to practice skills because she knows Reese is going to demand them of them. But, you know, as she had wandered around one day, you know, hardly anyone really recognizes her. And she's, she's enjoying the fact that she can wander kind of anonymously. It's kind of like being up in Valaris. Um, and as she's walking through, she's noticing that scars littered the buildings, the streets, from what had been done in retaliation for their rebellion. Burn marks, gouge bits of stone, entire buildings that had been turned to rubble. And the back of the castle, as Tarquin had claimed, was indeed in the middle of being repaired. Three turrets were half shattered, the tan stone charred and crumbling. No sign of the book. And I just find it interesting. She is literally like wandering around the city and, and is seeing this rebuilding as she's as she's kind of going through it and you know, checking things out. But she's you know, kind of wander around. She's noticing all these different kinds of fae, high fae, low fae, fairies with scales and gills, and the whole bit. Like, and she also recognizes that they're actually kind of starting to heal a little from everything. And she takes that as a positive sign. And she's like, you know, I had saved them too. Freed them from whatever the horrors had occurred during those five decades. And I really, again, we keep talking about poor Farrah. This girl has her head's been in 20 million different places but at least when she's out by herself walking around she is having these little glimmers of clarity of i didn't just save one person i saved an entire world so to speak and yeah. so for that i i really go Farah. you know i enjoy it i i like i like seeing her have these little moments of of yes i did the right thing um and so she, she talks about, and she's like, you know, it would never be enough to atone, but I did not feel quite so heavy, despite not finding a glimmer of the book's presence when I returned to the palace atop the hill on the third night to await Reese's report in the day's meetings. So, I mean, literally, for three days now, this poor girl's been wandering yeah, around the city. That would be hella annoying. It would be boring as fuck. And like right? I said, it's gotta be weird, because like, you know that Reese and Aaron are running out of shit to talk about. <laughs> at what point, you know? Like, at what point is Tarkin going to be like, that's great, go the fuck home? <laughs> it's got to be coming soon. Because, hello? So she's walking up the pal to the palace from a little bit of a different angle than she asked before. Because, again, she's been wandering all over the city. Hold on. Part of the city. Because, as I've said, you know, she's been wandering around, so she's exploring. And she says, as she stirred up the steps of the palace, cursing myself for remaining so out of shape, even with Cassian's lessons, I spied Amarin perched on a ledge of a turret balcony, cleaning her nails. Varian leaned against the threshold of another lower tower balcony with, within jumping range. And I wondered if he was debating if he could clear the distance fast enough to push her off. A cat playing with a dog, that's what it was. <laughs> I mean, this is just funny. It's like I have a totally like, commentary thing going. 
Because, you know, again, remember, they, they conveniently were close enough to each other on the boat. It, so I'm, I'm thinking something yeah. tells me, something tells me that what Reese said about him being under Amarin's thumb is yeah. too far off. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. So anyway, she's continuing up the steps. And she's watching the tide go out and the beautiful sunset and she's remarking on it. And then she's like, I was about to turn back to the stairs when I beheld a bit of land that had been revealed near the tidal causeway. A small building. But the site is too visible and from the distance I couldn't definitively tell if it was the book contained within. So she's like, huh, I think I finally found something. And now she's like, now I got to put a plan in motion to confirm this, which means we all know something crazy is going to go down to dinner, right? Mm-hmm. So at dinner, because <laughs> we get a little, no, a little snowflakey thing. At dinner, Farrah, they're all sitting there eating, and Farrah's talking about mindlessly, so to speak, talking about what she's been doing and wandering around the city, and different ways to engage Tarquin in in the goings-on and the wonders of Adriata. And I ate a fish sandwich, and I saw this, and I saw that. And I did this, and I did that, and and he's like, wait, you ate a fish sandwich on the pier? And she's like, yeah, it was fried right there. It was really, really good. Yeah, it's like the weirdest. I mean, it's effective. I get what we're doing, but when I'm listening to it or like reading it, I'm like, okay. (laughs) I know what game she's playing. And uh, so anyway, she, she, she did wear the necklace that he gave her of black diamonds. And poor Varian about swallowed his tongue. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, admittedly, it had to be weird for Crescent and Varian to be like, he's just giving shit away. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So anyway, though, ironically, Cressida's response was, uh, it suited her, and it didn't belong there anyway. Hmm. Okay, Cressida. I'm telling you, what a bitch. <laughs> She's such a bitch. Anyway, Farrah's trying to wheedle Tarquin into going out into the city with her. And she's, she's please, please, pretty please, pretty please, with sugar on top. And he finally is like... I'll go if you join me. Okay. One, I think he's tired of the meetings. Yeah, like, what a good excuse to fucking leave Rezan and Amron behind, right? He's like, mm, uh-huh. sorry, I gotta attend to your, your needy girl here. She just wants to hang out with me because I'm so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Something. She's gonna get him out. So anyway, so Farrah's talking about things she'd like to do, and she's like, perhaps... We could go for a walk in the morning down the causeway when the tide is out. There's a little building along the way. It looks fascinating. Like, um, all right, honey, you laid it on a little thick. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, I think, like, of all people, she can get away with it because she's, you know, like, so new to this world that they're just like, I guess everything fascinates her. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, Cressida stopped speaking. And she's like, I figure since I've seen most of the city now, I could see it on my way to visit some of the mainland, too. Perky perk. And Tarquin looks at Cressida, and about that's all it took for Farrah to recognize that, yes, she had found the location of where the book was. 
So winner, winner, chicken dinner, or winner, winner, fish dinner, I guess. I don't know. So, About time is all I can say. She finally found the damn book, right? So, and he's like, oh, there's no point in going. It's a temple ruin. Um, just mud and seaweed. They've been meaning to repair it for years, but, you know, they're focusing on other things, rebuilding the city after Amarantha. And Fair's like, not a problem. We can take the bridge. La-di-da-di-da. You know, I mean, she's, I give her credit. She's playing along. And Tarquin looks at her and she catches his eye. And in that moment of doing so, she spears for his head, like Reese has kind of taught her how to do. And she does everything in her power to become like Tarquin in his mind, to use his essence within her to get through his walls and barriers. And she leaves herself a, a path like Risa taught her. And she she's literally, you know, she's listening to his thoughts about why is she asking about the temple, of all the things to bring up, and and why are they here so badly? Why did she want to ask about my trove? Like he's starting to catch on a little bit, why wondering have they what's been going here on. For like four or five fucking days. <laughs> Pissing around for no reason, let's be really honest. And so She's coming in with her own thoughts behind him, trying to do her best to be him and using his essence to make it seem like these are his thoughts, saying she's harmless, she's kind and sad and broken. You saw her with your people. You saw how she treated them, how she treats you. Amarantha did not break that kindness. And so she's, she's pressing thoughts in there about, you know, she's my friend, this, that, and the other, like trying to get him to back off the suspicion. And finally, she gets out. She realizes her work is done. She, she gets out of his head. And Tarquin's like, we'll meet after breakfast unless Rhysand wants to meet. And Rhysand's like, no, no, that's fine. Go ahead. Because Reese knew exactly. Oh, Rhysand so fucking weird. He says, by all means, Tarquin, spend the day with my lady. My lady, what? what? Yeah. What? And I mean, she picks up on that because she's like, my lady. I ignored the two words. Um ma'am we should like focus on this for a second because we can barely get your husband to be to call you that no shit <laughs> like shit <laughs> and Reese calls her favorite darling and i mean the whole bit i mean i mean he also might be english and that's just like a thing <laughs> it is that's true uh, but still <laughs> he doesn't again another point <laughs> Again, another point for Tom Ellis to play Rhysand. Um <laughs> with you. I, I agree. So Feyre decides she's going to turn the table and kind of do the whole, so tell me what's going on in the mainland. Tell me what there is to see, because I've seen everything else. Smart girl. And we get a snowflake. <laughs> Honestly, I hate to say it, they could have ended the chapter there, but they didn't. It's almost done, though. There's, like, not a whole lot after that. So, after dinner, Amron and Reese go into Favor's room, and Reese compliments her for how she did her, her going into Tarquin's mind and using his essence and, and everything to get through to him. And, you know, she's really upset, and, and, and you know, he's like, what expert work you did using the essence of him to trick his shields to get past them clever lady 
So he really is complimenting her. I don't think he's being smart ass. Um, the fact that she picked up on that so quickly is actually pretty right. impressive. I think he's pretty shocked most of the time because she can't do simple things like light a candle, but she can pull this shit off. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, she's like, he'll never forgive me. And Reese's like, he'll never know. You get used to it, the sense that you're crossing a boundary, that you're violating them. He goes, for what it's worth, I didn't particularly enjoy convincing Varian and Cressida to find other matters more interesting. So, while that means, while Feyre was in Tarquin's head, Reese had gone into Varian and Cressida's heads to do the same thing. So, crazy stuff, right? And, of course, then his response is, look, if he hadn't taken care of Tarquin, we would probably be knee-deep in shit right now. So, he really is, you know, and she's like, well, it's my fault. I brought it up. It doesn't feel right. And, Anyway, he continues to lecture her about, look, you got to figure out where your lines are, but you did a good job. Well, and I like what he says, because she just says it doesn't feel right. And he says it never does, or it shouldn't. Right. So, like, he's aware that, like, this thing he does, and this thing he's now basically gifted her the ability to do, like, it ain't, it ain't for the weak of heart, and you also, you know, shouldn't take advantage of it, but it is what it is, you know? I agree, 100%. And as they're finishing up this conversation, Amryn comes in, throws herself on the bed, and she opens with, well, that's a stupid place to hide a book. <laughs> okay, Amryn, but it took you, what, four days to find it? I mean, I don't think it's as stupid as we all think, right? So they talk about, you know, how they're going to do this, and they decided to bring you know, put their brains together and they're going to do this. And this is several pages, you guys, and I'm not going to go into all of this, but they strategize a plan. They decide they're going to take a midnight stroll to go check things out and figure out where the guards are, yada, 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 yada. So they did. They take this little midnight stroll and do that. And it's the end of the chapter. Woohoo! Yep, yep. So chapter 36 literally opens and it's the first sentence kills me the following day was torture well i like Tor it. the following day was torture slow unending hot as hell torture and that is friends how i feel about the late june time we are in right now as we record this i am yes. so sick of humidity i just can't and it's horrible it's gross so when i read this i laughed because i was like me too friend me for me too I don't do summer. My my friends of you who are listening to this, y'all know this. I am not a summer girl. Yeah, if it were I, up to me, I'd only be visiting the summer court very rarely. Yeah. Like when I was freezing to death and I decided I needed to thaw out for like six hours. Maybe for a good fish sandwich. <laughs> or a seafood meal. I don't know. I could do something small. Hang but out with I Tarquin for a couple days because he's just a nice dude. But yeah, no, get me out of there. Yeah, can't do it. Can't do it. Not a. I'm not a summer girl. And anyway, they they wander around and they do their little fish sandwich. And of course, you know, Favor's struggling. They they literally she's struggling to keep him and herself busy until dinner time. And you know, she's like, "This is crazy." 
And so last night when they did their walking, she's musing in her head. She's like, you know, we learned where the guards were, what their rotations were, what the posts on the mainland were. And they finally get through dinner and she's just like, I'm, I'm tired. We're leaving tomorrow. I'm, I'm not feeling very well. I want to go to bed. And Tarquin, being the sweet man that he is, takes her up, sends her up to bed, you know, walks her up and, and lets her go to bed. And she literally walks into her room. But she has like a little meltdown first. <laughs> she does have like, a little bit of a meltdown. She's like, Tarquin she really wants to like yeah, apologize. Like, Tarquin kissed my cheek, saying goodnight, saying he wished that it was not my last evening. Perhaps he would see about visiting the night court soon. And I almost fell to my knees to beg his forgiveness. <laughs> I know. She's, She's struggling. Like, ah, crap. <laughs> That's what it is. And Reese, Reese kind of keeps her steady. He keeps her, his hand on her back. It's a warning to keep it together, even if his face was nothing but bland and, you know, his usual mask. But she gets, she goes into her room, and this is what it says. I went to my room and found Illyrian fighting leathers waiting for me, along with that belt of knives. So I dressed for battle once again. And we get a snowflake. <laughs> Cause shit's about to get real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Reese flew them into the low tide area and drops them off before he goes up into the skies to circle so he can deal with any of the guards. And they they get into this this the building and you know she's like the muck it's full of muck and gross and and water like how many of us have been at the beach and you see all the seaweed stuff gross it's the one part that i'm like it's kind of gross and slimy think about this it's all over a building she's walking into this right and yep her and amarin the dream team <laughs> yep they are the dream team you know barnacle seaweed and limpets clung to the dark gray stones every step into the soul interior chamber had that thing in my chest scene where are you where are you where are you and recent amarin had checked for wards they didn't find any odd but fortunate and they didn't put any light on because there was, you know, a way for light to kind of seep out. So they, they're kind of in. And she goes, knee deep in muck, the tidal water slinking out over the stones. Amber and I surveyed the chamber barely more than 40 feet wide. Okay. <laughs> knee deep in muck, which means mud, sand, critters, seaweed, shells, God knows. Yeah, nowhere else to go. And they don't got to shovel. And they don't have a shovel. Like, I think we can all put two and two together. If you're in a room and there's no other door, I guess you've got to look go down. <laughs> and so they do with their hands and they dig through with their hands. Of course, I love it because Amber does state the obvious. We should have brought a shovel. She literally yep. says this and you're like, hmm, you think? Also, I mean, I'm just saying, don't you feel like some magic could be used here? Like, I think we're doing some extra manual labor for no good reason. Yeah. I wonder about that because, I mean, we know Amron has the ability to snap her fingers and clean herself and everything off. So, so she can't snap her fingers and dig a hole? I know that seems kind of stupid. It does. Makes me wonder, doesn't it? Makes you wonder, too. So anyway, she's like, we dug and dug. 
until we were covered in salty mud that burned our countless little cuts as we panted at a stone floor and a lead door. Amron swore, lead to keep its full force in, to preserve it. They used to line the sarcophagi of great rulers with it because they thought they'd one day awaken. If the king of Highburn goes unchecked with that cauldron, they might very well. Amron shuddered and pointed. The door is sealed. So they found the door in the floor, and it's lead, and now they got to open it. And Amron's confirming the power that they feel. I mean, they, they are feeling all this crazy power, and, and now they got to figure out how to open it. But they find this lead door, and Farrah's feeling around on it, and it's got like this swirly pattern on it. So she touches it, and she says, a jolt went through me like lightning, and I grunted, bearing down on the door. My fingers froze to it, as if the power were leeching my essence, drinking as Amron drank, and I felt it hesitate question she's like i am tarquin i am summer i am warmth so on and so forth trying to convince this door with his power that she is him and she's like i became every smile he'd given me became the crystalline blue of his eyes the brown of his skin i felt my own skin shift felt my bones stretch and change until i was him and it was a set of male hands i now possessed now pushed against the door so it's really interesting she has to shapeshift into tarquin to make the door open for her and so she does which is like wildly fascinating you know amron's like hmm cool trick yeah she is amron's got to be like oh interesting hmm, we need to have a conversation about this but i want you guys to know something the first time i read this i totally skipped over the fact that she shapeshifted Oh, yeah. No, I picked up on that because it's completely, like, ignored for the rest of the book. Like, I think it's super weird where we're just like, oh, she can, but she won't. <laughs> exactly. Like, and I did notice that. Like, the second time I read it, I, I was reading it so fast, and I was so focused on them finding the, the book of breathings that I didn't click in my brain. It's one of the few times where it just didn't click that she had shapeshifted into Tarquin to do that. And so I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> because... Kelsey's right. Spoiler. They don't bring this up again. And you're like, the hell is yeah, going on like with you she people? could do this, but she doesn't. Weird. All right. Right. Anyway, it finally clicks. The lock gives and they open it up and, and they go in. And Amarin's skin gets even paler than it had been. And she's like, I never saw the cauldron, she said. But it must be terrible indeed if even a grain of its power feels like this. Because suddenly with the, the lead door open, they can feel the thrumming and the, the, the pulse of the book coming at them. The power of it just doing its thing. So they go down these steps that are in there. And they get a little bit of daylight in front of them. It, it, it pops up on top of the water which is, oh, it's waist deep. And they're sloshing through this. And she's like, you know, there's a hall and a chamber beyond that. All clear. Let's hurry up. Let's go. They're doing their thing. Now, I want to stop for a minute. If y'all have read Sarah J. Mass's Throne of Glass series, I want you to know that this woman's got a thing about her heroines having to go through mucky, gross, nasty-ass water to get 
that which is important to them and they need just an observation. I'm not going to spoil it beyond that, but it does happen in Throne of Glass, in Empire of Storms specifically. If you guys are listening to this and you have thoughts, let me know, because I'm wondering if it's just me, but I, I, I'm seeing like a theme here. So anyway, the water is now so cold that it's taking everything fair has not to react to how cold that water is. It's just like freezing, freezing, freezing cold. And they get in there and they, they get to a room and they realize that's where it is. And there's a door, another door. And they touch the door. She has to do her whole thing with her hand again. She gets through it. Door opens. And she does comment the energy that it's taking for her to open these doors. She's like, my head was spinning. Another lock and I might very well pass out. So that does tell me, I mean, it's taking a lot, a tremendous amount of energy for her to even you know, use Tarquin's essence within her to unlock the door. But this room's been magicked because it's totally dry. Like the water, it's like hitting an invisible wall and you step through it into this perfectly dry room. And lo and behold, there's the book in the center of the room on a pedestal. Which like, if you've ever seen Indiana Jones, you know that's never good. (laughs) No. Never, it's ever. never good to have to try to grab an artifact off a pedestal in the middle of a little room. If it looks that easy, I'm guessing shit's about to go down. Pretty much. Yep, 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 yep. So, Hammerin is checking for wards and everything else. She finally gives the all clear. And she goes and she gets it. And she hears the book as loud in her head as if Amran had whispered it herself. Who are you? Who are you? Come closer. Let me smell you. Let me see you. So, okay, I'm sorry, but it's a little creepy that the damn book is talking to her. This is like your horror story book of of proportions beyond what my poor brain wants to go into. Because I don't do that kind of crap. Nope, nope, nope. And she does say... You know, there are no spells, there are no wards, you just have to remove it and carry it out. But the tide is coming back in. And I just think it's hysterical. She's like, you know, favors like that soon. And Amrit's answer is, perhaps the sea knows. Perhaps the sea is the High Lord's servant. At which point they both realized if they were caught down there when all that water came in, they were dead. Because they weren't getting out. Yeah, weird how they didn't think of that before. Yeah, you know. And, you know, they're doing their thing, and the box is talking. This book is talking to them, and it's who argue, and and Fair is trying to convince her, convince it. I'm Tarquin, I'm the High Lord of Summer. And the box gets really quiet. Fair thinks she's all good to go. And then all of a sudden, the book yells, liar. And the door is slammed shut. I said, if it looks easy, probably not. So they're trying to hurry to get the hell out. And yeah, it's kind of disturbing. What can I say? The door slammed shut. End of chapter 36. Chapter 37 begins, and Amarin is screaming no. Um... 
and they can hear the water rushing in to the chamber above them. So shit's about to get real, right? And Feyre takes the box that the book is in and she slides it into the inside pocket and her, her jacket with her leathers so she can try and figure out how the heck they're going to get out of here. And she's, she's doing everything she can with her hand, using all the power in her to unlock that door. And it finally opens, only for the floodwaters to now come crashing in. They're fighting to get out. Amryn, with God knows whatever strength Amryn has, is literally holding the door open. I don't even want to know how strong Amryn is exactly. if she can open the door. They are struggling to find their way out of the temple in and of itself. And they finally decide to combine and use their powers a little bit to kind of control the water so they can navigate through to the exit. Because remember, they're now in that hallway. they got to get up the stairs to get up to the main chamber where that lead door was, right? Right as they get to the top of the stairs, that door slides shut, locking them in. And this is about when all hell breaks loose. And of course, Ferris like, where the hell is Reese? Um... We always wonder that in these scenarios. Reese, honey, what are you doing? And so it's, it, it's just kind of crazy. So they're pounding on the door, trying to get it to open, using their magic, the whole bit. Nothing's happening. And all of a sudden, that door is ripped open by water wraiths. Yes, my friends, the water wraiths, the ones that she gave that money to at the tithe. Yeah, remember how we said that sometimes it's better to have favors to call in than ugly-ass mm -hmm. bracelets and stuff? Yeah, this is one of those times. Yes, thank God for those favors. Because the water raids come in, they pull the door open, and they pull Amarin and Feyre out to safety. They get them up to the top of the water, and of course they're both choking on water, so they kind of, you know, heimlich them very uncomfortably. But get the water out and get them going, and very unceremoniously, like, got them as close to the land as they could. But the one in the center, as the sun is rising and everything is starting to go down and they can hear the alarm going on around them, the one in the center says, our sister's debt is paid. So, by favorite doing what she did during the tithe earlier, these water rays, it went through all the water rays all over Prithian. What had happened? And so the debt that they had has now been repaid, which, as Kelsey said, you know, it's a great way to have, a, to have your, your favors called in. I mean, talk about a, a great favor to call in, right? Come save my life, basically. As soon as she said that, Can the water is fascinating because that means that they were, like, skulking around and saw them all, like, go in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, that means the water rates were like, what the fuck are these people doing over there? Oh my god, I think that's that lady from the spring court. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, this isn't look good. And I mean they just like stood outside and like watched all this go down and were like, do you think they need our help? Yeah. <laughs> they probably need our help. I mean, it's kind of weird how they put two and two together so quickly. But you know what? They never do go into it. I will tell you all now. It is never discussed how they knew it was them. And they make it to a quiet sandy cove get up onto the earth and basically like on the beach and just kind of collapse because they're exhausted because they've been expending a lot of energy to get out of there and of course there's a snowflake and lo and behold who's standing there it's reese and he's like what are you two doing 
you set off every alarm, every trigger. He's like, I was hunting down each guard who went to sound the alarm. I thought you had it covered, he says to her. And Amarin's like, that place, that damned book nearly nullified my powers and we almost drowned. And then Reese is looking at her going, well, I didn't feel, see it, feel it through the bond. And Amarin's like, it probably nullified that too, you stupid bastard. Which is what I love about her. And like you said, I sort of can hear her voice in my head. And I just feel like her voice is like a little bit nasally and just like a little bit gruff all the time. And she's probably like, it probably nullified that too, you stupid bastard. Like, you know, she's just like, what the fuck? I'm mad at you, asshole. <laughs> and so, of course, then all Reese was like, did you get it? No, we almost died going through this shit, but we didn't get the book. Really, Reese? Thanks. Thanks a lot. And his response is, good. And literally, in a blink of an eye, he winnows them out. And they literally land. I love this. It gave out entirely along with Amarant as we landed in the townhouse foyer and we both collapsed to the wooden floor, spraying sand and water on the carpet. And all I can say is, ew, that's a mess. <laughs> and also apparently everyone's like just standing there, like Cassie and Az and more, and more. Like, chilling, having a conversation, and then poof, there are your friends and you're like, excuse me? <laughs> well, not only that, but I mean, you have to wonder, did, did, did Reese like mentally communicate to them like did he use his daymati powers to tell them to meet them at the townhouse i mean what's going well, yeah, on but even really then good. you know the message was just like meet us in the townhouse they're like okay i'm sure they'll be back in a few minutes they weren't expecting them to all of a sudden like poof and bring the sand and the water with them half the ocean yeah yeah like you know more standing there like uh i'm not oh, fuck. <laughs> like i wasn't dressed for this <laughs> Exactly. That's okay. No matter what, I hate to say it, neither Amarin nor, nor Favor were dressed for that either. Because <laughs> leather, when it's wet, is heavy. And stinky. And stinky. You were right. And, you know, Cass has the best line. I love Cassian. He's like, what the hell? Reese is like, I'm waiting for an explanation too. But this is where it gets great, because I love it. Because all Amber does is she turns around, they're gasping for air, they're soaking wet, they're trying to get their shit figured out. And Amber just looks at Farah and goes, how? <laughs> Nothing else, just how? At which point, Farah knew exactly what the question was about and says, during the tithe, the water eighth emissary said they had no gold, no food to pay. They were starving. Every word ached, and I thought I might vomit again. He'd deserve it if I puked all over the carpet. Though he'd probably take it from my wages. Anyway, so I gave her some of my jewelry to pay her dues. She swore that she and her sisters would never forget the kindness. Poor Moore's like, can someone explain? Yeah, Moore's like, can we use smaller words? I'm still not getting this. <laughs> yeah, I'm lost. What the hell are you all talking about? And Feyre and Amran are still on the floor, and Amran begins to laugh. And Feyre's like, what? What's so funny? This isn't funny. What? And Amran's like, only an immortal with a mortal heart would have given one of those horrible beasts the money. 
it's so and she just starts laughing she can't stop and she's like whatever luck you live by girl thank the cauldron for it at which point fair starts to completely lose it and she starts laughing because i guess the ridiculousness of it all has finally hit they finally get it together and and resand finally is like ladies to get them back in shape Amarin snaps and the mess is cleaned up and Feyre and Amarin are magically dried. Again, I go back. I agree with you, Kelsey. Where was the magic? Unless, unless I mean, I it totally nullified, nullified it. But it's weird that that's not brought up. Like when she's like, we should have brought a shovel. It's not like she says, weird, I can't use my magic. Should have brought a we shovel. We should have brought a shovel. You know right. what I mean? She just says, should have brought a shovel. And it's like, I'm supposed to gather from that that you can't use magic? I'm so confused. Oh, I agree. Favor reaches in, she gets the book out. She walks over to the table in the dining room and she sets it down. And apparently it's so cold, metal is so cold that it burns her hands and it thuds. And they literally all reco- recoil. And Reese crooks a finger at her and says, one last task, Farah. Unlock it, please. She slid into the chair, tugging at the hateful box to her, put her hand on top. And I love this part because it says, the book says, hello, liar. Will you read me? And she's no. Nobody's saying a word. They're very confused. So I'm wondering how many people are actually hearing this conversation, except for what she's verbalizing, right? And she's like, open. And the book is like, say please. So the book, the box, the silent, and then it said, like calls to like open i gritted out unmade and made made and unmade that is the cycle like calls to like curse breaker it calls her and it finally clicked open and at this point fair is done she i mean she's smoked how many things has she unlocked at this point yeah more than her fair share <laughs> exactly and cassie is like i never want to hear that voice again you know, it's that whole really uncomfortable situation. And I just find it interesting. Okay, can we just talk about how interesting it is that the book is like, like, calls to like, made and unmade, unmade and made? Yeah, it's a lot. It's like, huh, what does the book know? <laughs> it's a little disturbing. Yeah, a little bit. And Amarin's just staring at it. And her, I mean, she's completely like, gotten totally pale all the blood's drained out of her face you know she's having truly an oh shit moment as they look at the book and oh it doesn't have paper pages no 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 the pages are made out of metal and the letters have been carved into it and the language is not anything that like Moore or cassian or any of them have ever seen right amaran's response is when Moore asks what language is it amaran's response is it is no language of this world. And Azrael is like, what is it then? So this is exactly what it says. It says, she stared and stared at the book as if it were a ghost, as if it were a miracle, and said, it is the Lashan Hakadesh, the holy tongue. Those quick silver, quick silver eyes shifted to Resand, and I realized she'd understood too why she'd gone. Resand said, I heard a legend that it was written in a tongue of mighty beings who feared the cauldron's power and made the book to combat it. Mighty beings who were here 
and then vanished. You are the only one who can uncode it. It's just kind of a bit of a bomb. Like everybody kind of is like, uh, uh, whoa. They were all wondering if, if, if Amber was going to try and kill Reese at this point because she was kind of pissed. Not that, not that I blame her, you know? I mean, I'd be pissed. Yeah, but it's kind of like we've said about some of Reese's plans previously because Reese is basically like, I'm not fucking with you. I just didn't know if it was true or not. So it was the point of me saying anything. Like, exactly. I think a lot of the time Reese gets this rap for like, why don't you tell us stuff? Well, because what is there to say? That I have a theory? Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, it's not like he's got anything definitive to tell these people. <laughs> so, it was just interesting. So, so Rhysand then looks at Amarin, and she's like, I thought, he goes, I thought, too, that the book might also contain the spell to free you and send you home. If they were the ones who wrote it in the first place. And then Reese continues, I did not tell you my suspicions because I did not want to get your hopes up. But if the legends about the language were indeed right, perhaps you might find what you've been looking for, Amarin. And of course, she's like, I need the other piece before I can begin to decode it. It's this whole bit, and they're, they're still dealing with the book, and Azrael suddenly looks up and goes, but then there's this whole thing with Jurian to deal with. Right. They're like, we still don't see how this fits together. Right. But we're about to find out a little bit. And Reese is guessing that, that Jurian thinks Miriam is gone. So now who better to raise her from the dead than Jurian? Reese says Jurian would do it just to get revenge on Draken for stealing Miriam away. And, you know, for, for winning her heart and stealing her away. And you're kind of like, the hell? This is some fucked up shit, people. Anyway, Amran finally tells them what was going on in the little temple under the water at the causeway. Yeah, because suddenly, at this point, all of a sudden, like, as Cassie and, and, and Moore are all just like, okay, so we got half a book, we need the other half a book, but we haven't heard back from the Mortal Queens anyway, and what we happened? still only sort of know about Jurian, but anyway, why are you wet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what happened? Why oh, did you show up in anyway, rats? What? <laughs> so, Amarin takes pity on them and tells them what happened. And as she's telling the story, Pharaoh looks across the table at Reese, and he's already watching her. She lowers the, 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 the barrier in her mind on the bond and says down it, to the dreams that are answered. Heartbeat lo- later, sensual caress trailed along my mental shields, a polite request. I let it drop to let him in, and his voice filled my head. To the huntresses who remember to reach back for those less fortunate and water wraiths who swim very, very fast. Which and that's I, the end of the chapter. Which I love. And again, I, no, I, <laughs> I'm going to have a complex before the end of this. People are going to be like, shut up. Nobody cares. Tom Ellis is not going to be in this show. But I just, again, I, I can just hear his voice with that line so perfectly. The like yeah. last part, you know, where it's like, oh, that's, that's sweet. You know, oh, the hunter says you remember to reach back for those less fortunate. Fortunate. And water rates you swim very, very fast. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm like, oh, I can just hear the line delivery. I love it. <laughs> it's exciting. But yeah, that's the end of chapter 37. So, but I love how that, to the dreams that are answered, 
comes back again, yet again, and it comes back, and it comes back, and it is one of my favorite quotes. And uh, from there. Chapter 38 is all you, Miss Kelsey. Yes, yes. So uh, we had a little adventure, and uh, now we're back with the feelings. <laughs> and, like, honestly, I do love this chapter. So uh, chapter 38, here we go. Amorin is taking the book to wherever it is she lives, and Feyre and Reese have eaten breakfast, and more, more, and they ate with more of the Bat Boys, and now Feyre is, like, freaking tired because she's been up all night, right? And she was busy, you know, books even. And so now she's going to go take a nap. And she wakes up mid-afternoon and takes the, a book out to read. She's like, I'm going to take this book. I'm going to go sit out back. I'm going to read. And it gets too shady. And when it gets too shady, it gets too cold. So she heads up to the roof where there's like a little bit of sunlight left and where she can, you know, have a bonus of watching the sunset. Well, when she gets to the roof, there's Reese lounging in one of the roof's iron chairs, drinking with a full decanter next to him. And Farrah awkwardly clears her throat, but Reese tells her he knows she's there, but doesn't bother to turn to her, just jerks his chin towards one of the empty chairs as a silent invitation. Upon sitting, she notices a wooden box and asks a logical question. Was that? <laughs> and Reese just throws back his drink and literally levitates the decanter over to himself and pours another, which makes me giggle because it's one of like the only two times we get a laugh in this chapter <laughs> i i love I, I want i want that magic power sometimes you know because like when i'm dealing with my kid and i'm trying to do five things at once i would like to be able to just like have it magically come appear yeah but you're through the air yeah i agree uh -huh. and like i said it's a funny visual and i appreciate it because there's not a lot of laughables in this uh chapter so reese after he's refilled his drink basically word vomits I debated it for a good while, you know, whether I should just ask Tarquin for the book, but I thought that he might very well say no, then sell the information to the highest bidder. I thought he might say yes, and it'd still wind up with too many people knowing our plans and the potential for that information to get out. And at the end of the day, I needed the why of our mission, or the, yeah, I needed the why of our mission to remain secret for as long as possible. I didn't like stealing from him. I didn't like hurting his guards. I didn't like vanishing without a word. When ambition or no, he did truly want an alliance, maybe even friendship. No other High Lords would have bothered or dared. But I think Tarquin wanted to be my friend. Like, that's a big oof. <laughs> like, he just unloaded <laughs> all that. Big unload. Huge. <clears throat> and Feyre is just like, uh-huh. So what's in the box? <laughs> and, right. Uh, but like, I'm also not surprised because Feyre, she don't really do feelings. So she's like, uh-huh, that was a lot. I don't know what to say. What's in the box? <clears throat> and Reese tells her, you know, open it. And she does. And there's these big rubies in there, three of them. And basically, we learn that it's a summer court thing where when you want to warn someone that they're on your hit list, you send them a ruby. And there's one for Reese, Feyre, and Amarin. Oh, goody. And yeah. Reese, still just letting it all out, tells Feyre, I made a mistake. 
I should have wiped the minds of the guards and let them continue on. Instead, I knocked them out. It's been a while since I had to do any sort of physical defending like that, and I was so focused on my Illyrian training that I had forgotten the other arsenal at my disposal. They probably woke up and went right to him. And Feyre is using logic and is like, sure, but once we disappeared and the book was gone, like, he'd have put it together anyway. And Reese is like, right. maybe, maybe not. And he reiterates, I made a mistake. And, like, this man is not handling this well. No, and he's taking the blame for something yeah. that wasn't entirely his fault, though. Right, right. And Feyre, for once, actually says a pretty good thing. She says not the end of the world if you do that every now and then meaning make a mistake and he just mm -hmm. is kind of taken aback by this because like he's just told her that like there's a bounty on her head and he's like you've been told you are now public enemy number one of the summer court and you're fine with it and she admits <laughs> no but i don't blame you nope and i just think that's pretty powerful because i think that's exactly what he needs to hear but you know he's still in a mood uh and that's fair no and i think she's feeling some guilt about it too because remember she didn't want to steal right right Feyre suggests well maybe they could return the book when they're done with it maybe that would help smooth things over and reese says he won't do that until amarin gets what she needs out of it too and Feyre realizes that that is who he really is mm -hmm. he'd pay with everything he had i realized any hopes for himself, his own happiness. And I don't think until this reread it really sunk in for me, like how true this statement is about him. Like I knew I liked him. I knew I forgave him for some of the shitty things he'd done because I knew that he always had like, you know, the bigger picture in mind. But until this reread, it wasn't so obvious to me like how deep this man will go. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, for his people, his city, his friends. Like, he's trying so desperately to keep these people safe. And, like, the fact that he'd go this far for Amarin to get what she needs, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to return the book, even if that would maybe help. You know what I mean? Like, I just... Mm -hmm. <sighs> it sucks. for Like, in reading it, it just, like, sucks. Because you're like, wow... In between, the, you know, trying to get the book and the whole bit with Tarquin and how, you know, it's easy to love Tarquin because he's so lovable, you know? Like, right, right. This, this man truly is having this moment where he's believing that, like, he's never going to have that. He's never, you know, going to have it the easy way out, you know? Like, right. whether that has to do with being a High Lord or being you know, a part of the night court because they're so evil, you know what I mean? Like, he's right. just having a meltdown about all of it, I think, and kind of putting it under the umbrella of this moment, but I think it's, you know, the bigger picture like we talked about earlier in this episode. Well, absolutely, and honestly, he's allowed to do this. I mean, how often have we seen him come apart? Well, not only that, but, like, I was thinking about it, too. Like, unlike a lot of, you know, like, rom like romance movies or books or whatever, like, this isn't, like, a woe-is-me way of thinking right. because he's not wrong. Like, he no. really might not be able to have any of those things. Right. I agree. 
like the danger is real. It's not like he's making it up in his head. This isn't a, oh, I'm so unlovable because I'm so broken, you know, teenage fucking bullshit. No, this it, is yeah, no. literally if people whoever is with me, their life is on the line all day, every day. Because people hate me. Yeah. And that's, yeah. So that's just wild. My point is, is like, I think it makes for a really, really interesting character and I'm into it. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to see this side of him come out because, again, it's like it's kind of a Shrek moment, you know, where, where yeah. Shrek talks about ogres and onions. Yes, and they have layers. Yes, exactly. Reese has got all these layers, and and he's peeling back some layers. Exactly. You, know? you can kind of see Reese. I mean, I, it's a horrible, it's a horrible analogy in that. I'm not saying Reese is an ogre in any way, shape, or form, but the analogy of, you know, ogres are like onions. We have lots of layers. Reese, with all the different masks and all the different games and the different ways people perceive him, he's really such a good guy deep down, but he has, like, all these layers of protection upon himself, and we're seeing some of these layers come away as he's, like, kind of having a mental meltdown about all of this. Yep. Anyways, Reese just drops that whole thing about feeling guilty and Feyre tells him I understand why you did what you did no <laughs> Feyre tells him I understand why you did what you had to in order to protect the city and I understand why you will do anything to keep it safe during the times ahead and mm -hmm. Reese is just too down to really hear her saying this he's just kind of like so and she tells him to just, you know, get through the war first. Focus on nullifying the cauldron and then everything else, like the blood rubies can work out, you know, that can all get worked out later. And he mm -hmm. does pick up on the fact that it sounds like she plans on sticking around because she keeps using, like, we language. <laughs> right. And it calls back to me how Reese kept telling her stuff about, like, what would happen after Under the Mountain, implying that she'd make it. Right. So, just fun little tidbit. Whether she's doing that to him now, intentionally or not, I don't know, but that is kind of what she's doing now. Yeah, it's never really made clear if it's intentional or not. But right. She's trying to, like, pick him up and get him out of his funk. Yeah. And she says, yes, she is planning to stay, but she can find her own place if that's going to be a problem. <laughs> and she even jokes about, like, using that big old paycheck he gives her to, like, find a swanky place. And we see in her internal monologue something that we've seen before from his perspective, which was, come on, wink at me, play with me. Yeah. And he's just not having it. And he just tells her that she doesn't need to use her paycheck. This is so weird. She's apparently been added to his own line of credit and she's free to buy whatever she wants. And I'm just, I'm going to steal this from Laura Limpod for a moment. If it weren't so sad right now, I'd uh, say that this move has a uh, big business daddy energy. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> They're always talking about Hades. They're like, he's such a business daddy. And I'm like, yes, this is so accurate. This weird thing he says about how she's already been added to his line of credit and can buy whatever she wants. Yeah, that has big business daddy energy. <laughs> Just, it's like she what he did what with what what yeah i don't know damn. but i'm here for it <laughs> yeah me too i'm just damn 
<laughs> uh, it's random as fuck, but I'm here for it. <laughs> anyway, he's not playing with her, so she tries one more drastic move, which also kind of makes me giggle. <laughs> She's like, so, could I use that line of credit at a lingerie shop then? And he's literally, like, not taking the bait. And I just feel so bad for him because we know that's not like him. <laughs> you know he's in a funk when he is not picking that one up. Right. And Farah and I are on the same page because there's, like, a small, like, there's more to it, like, in her internal monologue. But a small chunk of a larger paragraph sums it up pretty well. She says, I could go warm myself by the fire inside, but he had stayed and fought for me. And she thinks yeah. of all the times that he fought for her under the mountain and after. Yeah. So she goes in with, in. exactly. So she goes in with last inch effort to pull him out of this funk. Maybe you should have slept with Cressida after all. So you could both be sad and lonely together. <laughs> Snatch. <laughs> ah, he snaps a little uh, and is basically like, why can't I have a bad day? You know? And she tells him you can, but adds, maybe I'll send a few, meaning of the Lacey Unmentionable she'd been talking about shopping for. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll send a few to Tarquin with an offer to wear them for him if he forgives us. Maybe he'll take those blood rubies right back. <laughs> you go, girl. And damn it if that doesn't get a smile out of Reese just a little for just a second. And she makes a point that... <laughs> If after just smiling at him, he gave her a diamond necklace, then like probably showing up in lingerie would like get them something better. <laughs> <laughs> like the blood rubies taken away. Right. And finally, Reese is like ready to play a little. He says, yeah. someone thinks mighty highly of herself. <laughs> she says, why shouldn't I? You seem to have difficulty not staring at me day and night. <laughs> Like, way to, way to call a man out when he's down, dude. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Let's play. Yeah, but, like, it's working. And he says, what, am I not supposed to find you attractive? And she's all, hey, buddy, I don't know. Like, you might think it, but you don't say it, which is a load of crap because we know he does. <laughs> all the time. And, and he says... I've told you many times and quite frequently how attractive I find you. And she's lost for a second because I think what has happened here is she's like, you never told me that. But it's because in her head, it was all like kind of a game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like when he was saying it before, it was all just like, nye, nye, nye. and she's like, oh shit, you meant it? <laughs> Pretty much. It's that whole, oh, what? Like those weren't oh. jokes. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh, damn. Yeah, she's like, oh. <laughs> but she she snarks back at him, well, maybe you should do a better job. <laughs> and now she successfully pulled him out of the hole he was in because he's all play now. He's like, is that a challenge, Farah? And she just says, is it? And he asks her, like, well, you want to go down to that little shop right now? And then, Jesus Christ... Asriel, do you have to show up now? Of course. <laughs> because, you know, what, what's, what's, what's adding to the sexual tension? <laughs> God damn, will they just fucking kiss already? <laughs> yeah. Well, <sighs> Asriel shows up, and she leaves, and she, like, kind of loses it in the hallway for a minute by herself. She's like, there was flirting, and then there was 
this. I don't know. <laughs> I had loved Tamlin, loved him so much. I had not minded destroying myself for it for him. And then everything had happened. And now I was here and might have been, and I might have very well gone down to that pretty shop with Resan. And <laughs> and I get it. I do. I really do. But sweetie, you're not with Tamlin anymore. And it, this is not like you're cheating or anything. Like you didn't no. God damn it, you like kiss the man. Like you got nothing to worry about. You're fine. I promise. <laughs> And I guarantee you, it's been long enough now. Enough time has passed. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but y'all, then a thing happens. <laughs> and you just have to read it. Uh, essentially, yeah. your, <laughs> essentially, your mind spirals going into mad detail about what might have happened if she had recently gone down to the little lingerie shop. And let's say it just like it's a little bit of spicy before prick, she shouts down the bond and he chuckles. See, friends. She's been sending her things. Yeah, she didn't fully come up with that little vision on her own. Someone nope. just now was putting it there. <laughs> naughty, naughty boy. And so, like all of us, she goes and takes a very cold bath. <laughs> um, I don't but know if I've been taking a cold bath, though. Well, I've been taking a cold shower, but you know. Exactly. <laughs> but this isn't the end. This is a snowflake. But that is the end. We get a snowflakey. <laughs> and Feyre, after cooling herself off, has dinner with Moore and tells her about the little lingerie vision her cousin so kindly put in her head, which makes Moore laugh so hard she snorts wine out of her nose. Gotta make them snarf. Gotta have a good snarf. And it. the two ladies stay up chatting till like 2 a.m. And that's just cute. <laughs> and... Feyre at this point finally goes to bed and she's like getting in bed, getting to sleep and she hears the house like groan and shudder and she looks outside but this is not weather related and she's like WTF but then she sees darkness leaking into her room from the hall, a darkness she recognizes and she rushes from her bed into the hall and she can't see for shit because there's wind and stars and pain and she feels pain and despair and guilt and fear and she just blindly follows the bond to Reese's room when she does find his door and locate the handle she opens the door and there's just stars and wind and it's absolutely blindly like blinding and she's just shouting his name into the room and she's like trying to feel her way around and she finally hits the edge of his bed and she's like slapping the bed trying to find him and she finally does. And she jumps up on the bed and she's feeling his arms and his shoulders and she's shouting his name and she's trying to shake him and nothing's happening. So she's like feeling from his shoulders up his neck so that, and I just find this so interesting, so that she's got her hands to his, she's got one of her hands to his mouth. And I missed this the first time I read it. I just pictured her like shaking him and, you know, whatever. But she puts her fingers to his lips to make sure that he's breathing. To right. make sure that this wasn't his power floating away from him. Right. And like, I just want to take a second and say, like, I missed how terrified she was the first time I read this. <laughs> like, the first time I read it, I was just like, oh, cute. Like, he woke her up from a nightmare. Now she's returned the favor. But like, she is terrified because she's like actually thinking that for some unknown reason, he could be actually dying. And you know, it's funny, like, I missed the whole, she she shifted in the Tarquin. Right. You missed this. 
I yeah. got this one, but I I missed the whole she became Tarquin. Well, I swear to God, I missed that one. Yeah, I missed this because, like I said, I was in my head just thinking, like, oh, he woke her up. She's doing the same. You know what I mean? But right, I missed right, right. this very specific part, like this very specific point where she's making sure he's breathing because she's thinking he might actually be dying. She hasn't actually really figured out that this is like a nightmare yet. Nightmare, right, right. And I'm just saying, like, put that in your pocket for later because I have a bone to pick with Farah in a few chapters. Just a small bone. I'll cut it out, but my small bone is because I missed this the first time. I just didn't think anything of it. But now this whole bullshit when she's like, I didn't know that we were mates or whatever. Shut the, shut the fuck up. Yes, you did. You. Because you thought he was dying for no reason. <laughs> yep. You, strangers don't worry about that shit. <laughs> nope. Anyway, anyways, she's decided he's breathing and she's shaking him and yelling and it's not working. And so she slaps him and he still doesn't wake up. And so she's like shouting down the bond and still nothing until finally a small crack. She can see down their bond, like the small crack in the darkness. And he wakes up just enough to flip her over on the bed and pin her down with a taloned hand over her throat. Mm-hmm. And I think I may have mentioned this before, maybe not. Um, but as someone who has slept next to a person with night terror problems and had a hand on the throat, she handles this better than I did. <laughs> even at that. <laughs> and she just keeps saying his name and he eventually loosens his grip a little and she's telling him it was a dream, it was a dream. And now she's trying to soothe his darkness with her own, which is... Mm -hmm. Again, like you and I talked about, just interesting because she can't do the little things with her magic, but he no, can't light a candle. Right. But he mentions to her one time that this is like a thing, right? Yeah. And she's and never she done it before, it. but she's doing it now. Yep. IDK. <laughs> and he kind of wakes up because his eyes go wide and she's like, Farah, I'm Farah. And she's holding his wrist that's on her throat. And she's like, you were dreaming. Finally, he snaps out of it, and the darkness is gone. And he pulls back. And this shouldn't make me laugh, but it does. Maybe because I'm one of those people who, like, you know, uses humor and laughs in uncomfortable moments, like funerals. But, like, he's finally, he's finally snapping out of what, like, he's finally snapping out of this. And what does Feyre Darlin do? She describes his fucking room to us in her internal monologue. Oh, like, she's got the weirdest priorities sometimes. Right? I'm like, what is this paragraph? She says, his room was similar to mine. The bed's so big, it must have been built to accommodate wings, but all tastefully, comfortably appointed. Hmm. Like, okay, okay, but so? <laughs> I care why? And she goes on, and this actually makes me laugh harder. And he... <laughs> And he was naked above me, utterly naked. I didn't dare look lower than the tattooed pains of his chest. Honey boo boo, he is trying to strangle you. He's having a moment. Can we get through this before we worry about his nakedness in the furniture? Mm -hmm. Like, what are we doing? But anyway, back to the seriousness of it all. Reese is like, Farah? 
And she says, yes. And he pulls his hand away from her throat and immediately is just like covering his face. And internally we get an interesting piece of info. <laughs> my traitorous eyes indeed dared to look lower than his chest, but my attention snagged on the twin tattoos on each of his knees, a towering mountain crowned by three stars. Beautiful, but brutal somehow. And she sits up and she's telling him again, you know, he was dreaming and she's looking at him and it's just the saddest fucking thing I've ever heard. It is. His hands, however, still ended in long black talons and his feet, they ended in claws too. The wings were out, slumped down behind him. And I wondered how close he'd been to fully shifting into that beast he once told me he hated. Yep. I was like, geez. His talons finally disappear and he tells her he's sorry. And she realizes that's why you're staying here, not at the house. You don't want the others seeing this. And he apologizes again for waking her, telling her he usually keeps it contained to his room. And she presses a little, you know, how often does this happen? And he looks at her and says, as often as you. But he won't share with her what he was dreaming about, which is fair. And she acknowledges that internally and places her hand on his elbow, telling him, you know, she's there anytime he wants to talk, whenever that is. And that she wouldn't tell anyone what he said. And she stands up to leave, but he grabs her hand and keeps it on his arm for a minute and, you know, just tells her thank you. And it just, like, hurts what she says internally. She says, I studied the hand, the ravaged face. Such pain lingered there and exhaustion. The face he never let anyone see. I pushed up onto my knees and kissed his cheek, his skin warm and soft between my but beneath my mouth. It was over before it started, but how many nights had I wanted someone to do the same for me? Exactly. And I'm just like, huh. At least she sort of is dealing with feelings at the moment. Yeah. And he's a little shocked, a little wide-eyed as she steps away to leave. Before exiting through the door, she turns back to him. And she looks at him, and we get... Reese still knelt, wings drooping across the white sheets, head bowed, his tattoo stark against the golden skin, a dark fallen print. The painting flashed into my mind, flashed and stayed there, glimmering before it faded. But it remained shining faintly in the hole inside my chest, the hole that was slowly starting to heal over. Okay. Okay, Yay. and at the end of this chapter, but not the end of my thoughts on this, and you know, because we talked about this offline. <laughs> we did. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so tickled because it's the first time she's acknowledged that a painting has actually stayed with her, but the death, the death on Swift Wings was the first one she's had since before Under the Mountain. Right. And I, this whole section totally reads, like, reads different to me on this reread. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because on the first read, coming off of Akatar, I was just, like, so caught up in their banter. That one seems like this happened. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, she woke up. He did that for her. She's doing it for him. That's nice. And, like, it is nice. But I think what she's, like, when she's thinking about the painting at the end, you know, it's, yep. I was thinking, you know, oh, she wants to paint his picture. She wants to paint again, maybe. That's progress. But somehow totally missed in all of that, like, his perspective. Yeah. 
And this set of chapters absolutely broke my heart thinking about yeah. what Reese was actually going through. Exactly. It's heartbreaking. Like between the blood rubies and the whole being jealous of Tarquin thing and, and feeling unlovable Hamlin. and unloved and just, oof. Life sucks. Like he's basically just living his life every day, hoping somebody's like somebody doesn't bomb his house. <laughs> like to most, he's just like the evil high lord, and that's just rough. And on top of that, he's dealing with the under the mountain trauma, and he's also got all right. of that sexual trauma thanks to Amarantha. And then he's right. dealing with being seemingly the only one who knows what's going on with Highburn, and he's trying right. to save everybody's ass. Right. And basically, I say all of this because I made the mistake on the first read of being like, oh, kiss already. <laughs> but now I'm like, oh, poor baby needs therapy. Yes, he does. I mean, you know, but the thing is, is the difference between him and Tamlin yeah. is one, he makes the effort. Yes. And, and two, he he listens and he listens to right. Favor. He listens to more. He listens to Amor and Cassie and Az, all of them. But he listens to Favor. He yeah. doesn't push her away. He doesn't ignore her. Well, and as we saw, like in this set of chapters for this episode, even when he's dealing with something and he doesn't really want to go into it, he acknowledges that, like, but yes, there's a thing there. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't tell her what his dream was and he says something along the lines of I don't have the quote pulled up but he says something along the lines of like you know of all the traumatizing things I went through under the mountain I've told you a lot of them but like I don't even want to talk about this there are some things I still don't want to you exactly. know, tell you and I'm like that's still better communication than we ever freaking got out of Tanlin for an entire book exactly good lord Anyway, the point is, I just don't want to get lost in their cuteness because they are cute and they are flirty and it is, you know, trying to go to steamy town. But like, damn, if this dude is not just broken. Like, he is at least as broken as she is, if not more, because he's just had more years of shit to pile up. I would agree. And, I, you know, I think Tamlin, for all of his brokenness, Tamlin never tried to approach it in a healthy manner. Right. And, and Reese has always tried to find a way to be healthy about it. Is it maybe because he has Amarin and Moore and Cassian and Az? And I, that's probably some of it. But, you know, I mean, I don't know. But, you know, I do. You look at the two guys and, and I mean, they could not be more different. It's like night and day. But, you know, at the same time, I don't know. I mean, he seems, I feel like Tamlin is like the sulky 16-year-old in the corner. And right. Resand is the adult in the room. Right. Yeah, I would, I would agree to that. And my whole thing, too, is just like, my point is, we watched a lot of, in book one and like the beginning of book two here, a lot of Reese trying to essentially save Feyre from herself. And I'm just glad we're now finally seeing her kind of return the favor some. Exactly. It's huge. All right. So with all of that adventure and drama behind us, 
Kim, what are our songs today? <laughs> so we had some fun with this. Um, I, I actually got Kelsey to laugh. Um, I will tell you all that my 80s is showing because really, out of the five songs, four are from the 80s originally. So anyway, today's playlist has five songs, four from the 80s. Bear with me, and I will I will defend some of these songs till the cows come home, and the 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 versions that I chose because well, if you're my friend and you've known me long enough, you understand this. Uh, so the very first song that I would I'm picking is the Boys of Summer. I'm going with the Don Henley version. Yes, the Ataris did a remake. It's a good remake, but it's not the Don Henley version. And I am true to form. I want the Don Henley version because it's an awesome kick-ass version it's a beautiful video by the way it's all done in black and white oh love it but um the boys of summer by don henley and it's it's literally it's about the beginning you know the first big couple days in the summer court and getting to know uh tarquin and varian and you know everybody kind of spending time in the summer court and getting acclimated and the next song is uh, Shameless by Billy Joel. Yes, all of you Garth Brooks fans, I know you're going to tell me Garth did it. He did after Billy Joel did it. It's Billy's song. He wrote it. It's on his Stormfront album, and I will fight you for it. Sorry. Um, Garth does a good version. <laughs> Garth does a good version. I'm not going to say he doesn't, but I'm all about the Billy Joel version because truly nobody, nobody can beat the piano man when it comes to that kind of soul. Oh. Anyway, um, that song is specifically because it's really how Reese feels about this whole thing. Like when he and Pharaoh are having that conversation, he's like, you know, she's like, well, what if I fuck him for it? You know what? Reese is like, if that's what you got to do. He's pretty shameless about the whole thing. Like he's like, do what you got to do. And he has no shame in what they have to do. Um, at least not in that moment in time, as we all just know, he does feel bad once the blood rubies arrive. But, you know, he doesn't have any shame in that moment. Um, the next song is Invisible Touch by Genesis. And it's literally when Feyre is putting her hand on the doors and the things to open up to get to the book of breathings. Kind of funny, kind of cheeky. And I love, you know, their lines in there. She has an invisible touch. Gotta love it. Gotta have a good giggle because I thought it was funny. Uh, the next song is The Tide is High by Blondie. And I hope y'all can figure out why I picked this. That's the one that made me giggle. <laughs> <laughs> and yes it is an 80 song if you aren't sure it came out in 81 but it's it's a great little song it's it's fun anyway and the final song which is another one that made kelsey giggle because it's kind of funny it's bad day by daniel powder and it's for reese after the blood rubies come and they're on the roof and he's pouting and fair is trying to put him in a better mood and the first time I heard the song, I thought of this moment because it's that whole, so you had a bad day. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the lines in the song. I love it. It's like, so you had a bad day. Which also made me laugh because when Kim told me that, I was like, oh, yes, this has been Reese's Pieces' worst day, at least that we have seen. So I had to put that in there. So those are your five songs. Four are from the 80s, and I'm, I'm proud of that. I wasn't going that way on purpose. It just happened, I promise. <laughs> and it happened. <laughs> you know we, we've done a lot of show music too so you know y'all can't fade me on that like that we're, we're pretty liberal in our musical choices here for whatever we put in it's don't worry we, i have i have some other fun things 
up my sleeve, but no, this one is definitely, you know, like I said, Invisible Touch was just kind of a kismet moment when I heard it, and I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I need that song. Um, but yeah, so, you know, enjoy, have fun. If y'all have suggestions, I'd love to hear them. I'm always open to hear new songs and add them to my list and, and do them. I will tell y'all my list, I break it down, but I have a big general one for all of Akatar, but each book has its own playlist. You know, I listen to them that way so that I can check them out. So let me know. And if you're listening on Spotify, you can hear them at the end of this episode. And if you are listening on something else, you can find them on Spotify. Okay. We'll wrap this up so that uh, we can get on with our, you know, plan for next week, which I'm just going to throw out there now. Um, interesting section, Kim, that we got going next week. Yeah. Things get steamy and weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Steamy and weird friends mm. uh if anything would ever you know give us like a rated r rating it's gonna be next week or at least for a while <laughs> yeah uh for sure for sure um yeah because stuff happens mm. later but this is the first time in this book where we're like oh all right <laughs> i don't know let's go in c17 Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. I cannot wait to see how we uh, make this work for television without having issues. <laughs> well, it's not going to be on. True. It's not on network. It's not on networks. So in that sense, it shouldn't be as big a deal. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. You know, it. Well, if you know what we're talking about, then you know what you're we're yeah. talking about. <laughs> if you don't, well. You'll um, find out. Go read the chapters before the next episode because, I mean, there's only so much I'm going to be able to say. <laughs> Things get interesting and um, sexy. Yeah. Steamy and... But I repeat, and weird. <laughs> yes. There are definite bow chicka wow wow moments going on. Um yeah, there's but at some... the same time, also weird. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, lots of lots of what the moments too. Yes, lots of those. But that's but that's for next episode, friends. And in the meantime, you can find us on all of the things. Yep. Uh, massive fans, you know, two A's for Sarah J. Mass's name. Uh, website massivefansbookclub.com, Facebook at Massive Fans Book Club and Podcast, Twitter at Massive Podcast, Instagram at Massive Fans Podcast, Pinterest at Massive Fans, TikTok at Massive Fan Pod. And I will say, I recently was updating our Pinterest, and more and more people are putting up uh, fan cast suggestions Woo-hoo. for a TV show. And so I've started adding some of those to our Pinterest boards because they're fascinating. Gotta love them. I'm so excited. All right. Well, that wraps up today's episode. So, okay. All right. Bye. Bye.